morning. I'll be reading the scripture from today's message. It's found in Isaiah 55, 713 in the Pew Bible. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make the name for the Lord an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Amen. The word of the Lord. Well, almost 20 years ago, I remember going to the Cheesecake Factory for dinner and dessert. Uh, I don't know if you've been to the Cheesecake Factory, uh, but it's a glorious place, actually, uh, with a menu as long as a Bible, uh, half of which seems to be cheesecakes. And and I remember going with my future father-in-law, and my future wife was there with me, and I remember he and Brooke discussing one particular cake. I'm sorry, Clint, can, this feels really loud to me. Is it everybody else? I feel like I'm nervous. I can't talk any louder than I am right now. Can you back that? Thank you. There we go. Um, so I was there and my father-in-law, they were discussing one particular cake. It was the Godiva chocolate cheesecake, which is described as layers of flourless Godiva chocolate cake, Godiva chocolate cheesecake, and chocolate mousse. But I could be wrong. They could have been discussing the Godiva double chocolate cheesecake, which is described as rich chocolate cheesecake baked with chunks of milk chocolate topped with chocolate mousse, chocolate ganache, and chocolate whipped cream. Amen. Is there no amen? Um, 
So the waiter comes over and Bruce points at one of those two, I don't know which one it was, and, and asks the waiter what he thought and says, oh, it's good. And so Bruce says, so a lot of chocolate. And the waiter looked at Bruce, and, and I, could, I, I could remember where I was sitting, and he across from me and Brooke to my side. Uh, 20, from 20 years ago, the waiter looked down at Bruce and said, not even God could get more chocolate in that cake. And this look of confusion came over our faces. I didn't know if it was like the line about God making a rock too big for him to lift. You know, like, like, can God make a cheesecake so full of chocolate he can't put more cheesecake in it? Or chocolate? I don't know. So I stood up and I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, let me tell you about Jesus. <laughs> Thank you. I did not, everything was true up until that last line. I did not, I did not do that. But 20 years later, when I think about that moment, I think about what Isaiah describes here in chapter 55, delighting in rich food. I think about Godiva double chocolate cheesecake. I think about food so rich, to Tony's words earlier, so beautiful that you can only nibble it. And you have to drink glasses of ice-cold milk between bites. Through the prophet Isaiah, God equates knowing him and being loved by him to delighting in rich food. Cold water, cold milk, delicious bread, expensive wine, a banquet feast. One scholar said that God's invitation to come to him is, no, is an invitation to no soup kitchen, even if the clients are beggars. Knowing God is like enjoying cheesecake or whatever food you find most enjoyable, most rich. We, as Tony has been said earlier, we've been teaching through our new vision statement, which says that our church exists for the weak, the wounded, and the wayward to enjoy the living Jesus. And this morning, we're going to be talking more about that word joy. But before we talk about that, we need to talk about who the audience is that, that, that received this word, this invitation in Isaiah 55. One scholar as I said, he, he said that this is no soup kitchen, even if the clients are beggars, but we're worse than beggars. To use the language of the passage, yes, the people here are pictured as those who are thirsty, poor, and unsatisfied. We might call them weak and wounded. But they are also wayward. We are also wayward. Look with me again at the description in verses 1 to 2. God, through Isaiah, speaks to his people, saying, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Why do we have no money? Hmm. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me. And eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Imagine you're thirsty. 
like, like very, very thirsty, like near-death type of thirst. Maybe some of you have been there before. And, and then you're handed this tall glass of lemonade. It's icy cold. You can see and even feel the condensation on the side of the glass. But what you don't see is that the glass of lemonade was filled with a spoonful of salt, spoon, spoonful of sand, spoonful of cayenne pepper, and you take the glass and you begin to guzzle it like, like lemonade down your cheeks and shirt, sticky type of guzzling. And that's not going to satisfy. You're just going to spit it all back out as soon as you begin drinking. That's part of what's going on in this passage in our description of us. But what you can't see from that illustration, but what you can certainly see in the passage is that we are responsible for our own spiritual poverty. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, God asks. God is saying we're not mere victims. We're that, but we're something more. Look at verses 6 and 7. So again, if you have a Bible, just just keep it open. We're going to be in and out of this passage for the next 15 minutes or so. Verses 6 and 7 go this way. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Those who received this word knew they were wicked and had left the path. Which is to say they were wayward. And for nearly 40 chapters with only a few exceptions God gives them judgment upon judgment. Wrath upon wrath, punishment upon punishment. Their heads are hanging low. They are sinners and they know it. Isaiah preached to them about their sin and God's holiness until the forest of their self-righteousness was just cut and cut and cut down to a tiny little stump. I'm sure they could hardly believe these promises. Of blessing from God. Could that be true? And yet to these people. People like us. God says come. Everyone who thirsts. Come. Before coming to church today. This morning. You might have heard those lines in Isaiah 55. About come to the waters. You who have no money. Come by any. Perhaps you're familiar with the Bible. Familiar with that. You've, you've heard those. You're probably also, if you're familiar with those verses, two other lines here in Isaiah 55. But I would suggest that even if you have heard these verses before, I would suspect that you don't know what they mean. That is, you don't know how beautiful they really are. Look with me at verses 8 to 12 again. Verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, perhaps familiar. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. 
it shall not return to me empty. Some translations say void. But it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and it and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Again, to many of us, these verses, or at least this cluster of phrases, the heavens higher than the heavens, thoughts, God's thoughts, that's familiar. God's word not returning void, that's familiar. But sadly, we've stripped them of their context, and in doing so, we've stripped them of their beauty. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And we say, okay, of course. Of course they are. You're God, you're smart, you're infinite, we are from dust. And so, yes, your ways are higher than our ways. Of course, God. All that's true. But God has just said, and I read it a moment ago, but I'll read it again. Let the wicked forsake his way. Let the unrighteous his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So, What is the context of God's higher ways? The context is grace. The context is mercy. The context is abundant, lavish, rich pardon. God is not a bigger version of you, and that is good news. You and I wouldn't spend our time with the weak and the wounded. And we certainly would have no problem crushing the wayward, those enemies who have sinned and sinned and sinned against us till there was no more sinning it could seem that there could be done. But according to this passage, God's ways are higher than our ways because he offers everlasting spiritual life to his spiritual enemies. And what is said is in verse 11. God's word is powerful. Yes, of course. God's word will accomplish God's purposes. Well, yes, of course it does. And so we take this verse and we use it to encourage poor, discouraged preachers. We need those verses. (laughs) Preach the word, we tell preachers. And we should. But there is so much more in this verse. What is the purpose God's word will accomplish? Well, what purpose does the rain accomplish when it waters the earth? For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, to heaven, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, God says, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. God's aim is to bring abundant life. Indeed, Jesus says in the Gospels, the thief, speaking of Satan, he comes to steal and to kill and destroy, but I have come, he says, that they might have life and have it abundantly. Oh, these verses in Isaiah, they might be familiar to us. But oh, that we had eyes to see, noses to smell, ears to hear, taste buds to taste. All that God offers to us in the person of Jesus. God's offer is to the weak, the wounded, and the wayward to enjoy. 
the living Jesus. Now speak about that word joy for a minute, enjoy. I will tell you that as our pastor elders, as we were thinking and praying for, for the better part of nine months about a potential new vision statement, when this phrase, this sentence hit a piece of paper and there were some other contenders and then when this one started to rise above the others, so to speak, the word that gave us the most trouble was the word joy or enjoy. I wonder if you could guess why. I'll tell you. We live in a time in which we tend to believe that God exists for our enjoyment. Not that we exist for his. We live in a time in which we are told to live for our own glory, not God's. You do you. Follow your heart. Live your true self. And we are so drenched in this individual and inward way of thinking that I'm not even sure we know how much it affects us. We are, in other words, the proverbial fish who don't know we're soaked in selfish individualism. And so for us to put the word enjoy in our vision statement concerns us for the ways it could be misunderstood. It could sound like our church, indeed God himself, exists primarily for our joy. But that's not true. God does not exist to give you happiness on your terms. We can't enjoy Jesus in our sin. As the old hymn says, trust and obey, for there's, what is it? No other way to what? Be happy in Jesus. And besides, defeated, desperate enemies don't get to dictate the terms of their surrender. And so putting enjoy into the vision statement could be easily misunderstood. And yet, based on Isaiah 55 and many other passages like that, we do believe God means for us to have joy in him. By using the word joy, we get to worship language. This passage is dripping with joy in God. Come to the waters, God says. Come buy bread when you have no money. Meaning when you have no moral capital, when you are morally, spiritually bankrupt, come by. And notice what it says in verse 3. This is important. If you have it open, look, look with me. There's one word I want to draw your attention to. Incline your ear and come to me that your soul may live. The bread and the water, the milk and the wine are metaphors to describe coming to God. Yes, come to him on his terms, but come to him for joy nonetheless. So when we use the word enjoy in our vision statement, we're drawing from this passage, but we're also drawing from places like the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Now that may come out of left field to some of you, but I will tell you that a catechism is this I would say, thoughtfully structured series of question and answers designed to teach, often to children, but they're good for adults too. They're good for pastors too. The Westminster Catechism 
was written several hundred years ago, but it has blessed the church for those hundred years, hundreds of years. And the first question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism asks this, what is the chief end of man? Sort of like Tony's question earlier, what is beauty? These thoughtful questions that stir us to, to reflect on what is beauty? What is the chief end of man? And the answer comes back in that famous, shorter Westminster Catechism. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So I think we're on a sure footing, putting the word joy in our vision statement. God may not exist for our enjoyment as defined on our terms, but God does want him to enjoy us. Or God does want us to enjoy him on his terms. Now that was the concern of the elders, which I also share. Here's my concern specifically now that we're in this passage. As a preacher just of Isaiah 55, here's my concern. There is an urgency in this passage. In verse 6, we read, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Implying what? There is a time when the Lord won't be found and won't be near. And you don't know when that is. And neither do I. This passage in its entirety is calling for passion and zeal, reckless and wild feasting. In other words, Isaiah 55, it's not God's way of creating nice people who obey the laws and pay their taxes and tell clean jokes and watch TV quietly and become good religious churchgoers. Additionally, Isaiah's image here of feasting exists in a background of, the f- of images of fleeing danger. Isaiah 55 pictures a standing on a limb, a tree limb. And the fire of hell is getting hotter and hotter beneath your feet. While God pleads with you, come, come, jump, jump into my arms. Jump while God is near, Isaiah says. I'm concerned that while some of you lead your lives of quiet religion, the tree limb might snap off and you might fall into hell. The winsome invitations that our church so values, the winsome invitations to come to Jesus, and we want to be winsome, should not be taken to mean that the invitations are not urgent. In other words, the good news of Jesus is for the weak, wounded, and wayward. And I'll add another one, the wishy-washy. It's not going to make it on the slide. (laughs) But in Isaiah 55, it's for you too. The living Jesus is for the blah, the ho-hum, those with no passion, no zeal, Call me an old school preacher for talking about hell. You can call me whatever you want, but I just want you to call on the name of the Lord. As though your life depended upon it. Because it does. I'll close by pointing you to a phrase at the end of verse 3. We pointed at one of them, the come to me. I want to point at one more. Incline your ear. 
and come to me here that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. What's it, what is it? David? What is, what is that? What is David doing there? Isaiah was writing some 300 years, round numbers, after King David had died. Da- King David's bones have already de- decomposed, probably. It would be like saying America will prosper because of George Washington. Washington? (laughs) He's been dead 222 years. God mentions this David in Isaiah 55, not as a way to speak about the first David, but a way to speak of what the Bible calls the second David, the greater David, the Messiah, the one we know as the living Jesus. All the promises that were made to the first David, such as the promise of an everlasting dynasty, come true in the greater David. The one who rose from the dead and sits on David's throne forever. Because when God promised King David, you'll have an everlasting dynasty, there's two ways to have an everlasting dynasty. You have a son who sits on the throne, who has a son who sits on the throne, who has a son who sits on the throne, and so on and so on. Everlasting. That didn't happen. Or you can have a son who sits on the throne and never gets off. And that's who we have on the throne today. I invite you to pray with me now. I invite the worship team to come back up and I'll introduce our time of communion together. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, these promises are are almost so lavish, so undeserved, that, that, it's, that we almost need to preach to ourselves, arise, arise, my soul. The gospel is true. Lord, I pray for the weak and wounded and wayward among us, which is all of us to different degrees, that you would Cause our hearts to delight on rich gospel food. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have this expression that there's no such thing as a free meal. Someone has to pay, right? That's, there's no such thing as a free meal. If you, if you put one of your business cards in a little jar at a restaurant and they say, win a free meal, it's not free. You're going to have to listen to a spiel, right? Come and eat, you who have no money, God tells us. God can invite us to feast freely because David, the David, Jesus Christ, bought our joy with his blood. We'd love for you to come worship with us on Good Friday. We're going to talk more about that, 7 o'clock. And we're going to be talking more about the crucified Jesus. And then we'd love for you to come back on Easter. Talk about the living Jesus. But you don't have to wait till then to enjoy Jesus. We're going to celebrate communion, which is for everyone who is hungry and thirsty and 
It's choosing to find their thirst, their highest thirst, their need for forgiveness, their need for joy, their highest meaning and purpose in life in Jesus Christ. If that's you, then communion is for you. If you're here and you're just visiting, you're trying to understand who Jesus is and what it might mean to follow him, um, we just encourage you maybe to use this time to think and pray and to not participate because communion is for Christians. It's the multimedia presentation of how Jesus bought us everlasting joy. Jesus said in the Gospels, my flesh and blood are true food. You should be able to find communion cups um, in the f- kind of pew row in front of you. Um, the worship team is going to lead us in a song where we can reflect on the goodness of Jesus. And then I'll come up and lead us all together.